Hello and welcome to another episode of Film Exploration with Ash Hari and today I'll be talking about the 1997 film Goodwill Hunting directed by Gus Van Sant and starring Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Minnie Driver, Stellan Skarsgård and the late Robin Williams. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck broke through the barriers of Hollywood by producing one of the most compelling and original screenplays in cinema history and thus ending in a fairy tale at the Academy. Nominated for nine Oscars and winning two of them, including Best Original Screenplay, making ba- uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck Oscar winners before the age of 30 and jump-starting their career into Hollywood. I think Ben Affleck was like 25 at the time, so it makes him the youngest ever writer to win an Oscar, and I think he still is at the moment. And of course, the late Robin Williams winning the other Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in the performance of his life, playing psychologist Sean Maguire. So the movie tells the story of a Boston kid, Will Hunting, who's your typical teenager who has a problem with authority and just basically your outright typical thuggish teenager with a good heart. He also happens to be a genius. This genius catches the attention of Harvard professor played by Stellan Skarsgård where Will is working as a janitor at the prestigious university. While mopping floors and cleaning, he's also solving equations in the hallway that no one else can do. While finally caught by the professor, Will clearly shows um, he's quite reluctant to learn and um, exploit his genius. So the professor later strikes a deal with the local authorities who has Will in custody for hitting an officer during a fight with teenagers. And he, um, and he basically some strikes a deal with him to see a therapist so he can sort of later exploit and better his life because of this intelligence he so casually holds. Now he goes through four or five shrinks and finally, finally turns to his old college roommate, Uh, Sean, played by Robin Williams. And there begins the deconstruction of Will throughout this movie, asking the million-dollar question, what do you want in life, Will? The reason I've briefly read the plot of the movie is because, surprisingly enough, not many people of the new generation have watched this. Um, Actually, even people of my age haven't still watched this movie yet. This is mainly due to the quick rise in fame of both Matt Damon and Ben Affleck after this movie coming out, almost distracting audiences from this movie, this piece of dramatic role which kick-started their career. They are aware of the movie, they know what it is, they can even quote some lines, but most haven't seen it. It's like being aware of Citizen Kane or Casablanca, but how many people have actually seen those movies? Of course, Ben Affleck immediately went on to star in Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, the Oscar-winning film Shakespeare in Love, and he even went on to play superhero Daredevil. And obviously his dating life with Jennifer Lopez and Jennifer Garner, I'm thinking the background, and all these other blockbusters were sort of just um, overtaking it. And he started doing romantic movies as well, and... Uh, especially when he became Batman as well. Um, actually, a good fact for you about Batman, he's actually, Ben Affleck is the tallest and oldest actor to play Batman. I think he was 42 when he got the role. And I think he's um, six foot two, six foot three, which makes him the tallest actor to play him. But anyway, yeah, so he's getting established in these action and rom-com roles, leaving Goodwill Hunting in the mist. Ben, actually, I think he's a really good director. He's a better director than actor, in my opinion. If you've seen the films Gone Baby Gone or The Town or even Argo, where he won his second Oscar, um, you'll probably agree with me. Great auteur and still very young, so still looking forward to what else he produces. And Matt Damon, of course, was shooting um, Saving Private Ryan at the same time, and Spielberg wanted an unknown actor to play the role of Private Ryan. Spielberg had no idea that Goodwill Hunting was going to be a massive hit, and thus shooting Matt Damon was almost a sort of... Um, a great opportunity which sort of helped the attention of Saving Private Ryan when they saw big star Tom Hanks and also big star Matt Damon in the movie and it actually secured Spielberg with his sec- uh, second Oscar for directing but like like Ben Matt also delved into the action genre starts you know starting the amazing Bourne series in 2001 of course the year after 
um, Goodwill Hunting came out, Saving, Saving Private Ryan, which was a great film and, you know, the box office hit. And then he started another franchise with Ocean's Eleven with a star-studded cast. So both their names were rising high with these big films. And soon, Goodwill Hunting was left in the dust. The reason it was picking up traction was because of Robin Williams, who won his Oscar. And I don't think Robin Williams really excelled after this role. His bigger roles actually came out before the movie, like uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji, Aladdin, Dead Pope. Dead Poet Society and Hook. So, Goodwill Hunting was, you know, that film that Robin Williams was amazing at, and you know, really stole the show. So we can talk about how the film came to be. I mean, it's quite a dream come true story for anyone who wants to get into Hollywood through means of writing an incredible script. But you must remember that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were already actors even before writing Goodwill Hunting. So the foot was already in the door. They were living in L.A. and although not big, they were starring in Hollywood movies like School Ties and Courage Under Fire with Denzel. So, you know, the boxes to becoming an actor were being ticked. You know, move to L.A., get auditions, get some roles. So progress was happening, but it just wasn't happening fast or going anywhere fast so Matt Damon thought of an idea of writing a script and starring as the lead role and he thought back to his days at Harvard when he was performing a play so the script began as a playwright but when Matt Damon was at Harvard and he didn't just have he just didn't have enough juice on it he actually even performed um parts of the play at Harvard from the material and there was a scene where I think it's the scene where Will first meets Sean and rips him apart through the painting um, little did the students know at Harvard who saw Matt Damon, the scene would later become so iconic later on in Hollywood. So he asked his old friend Matt Damon, who he grew up in Boston, to help him turn this play into a script. And Ben, ben was like really, like you know, he's really committed. He really went to work on it and they were living together as well, adding a bit of meat to the bones of this material that Matt Damon had and going through so many rewrites. And eventually they had something they were both happy with. Now, you have probably a lot of elements in the films of Ben and Matt's actual life. Obviously, it's set in Boston, where they both grew up. Ben's dad is actually a janitor, and he was a janitor at Harvard as well. So it's the same thing here. And Matt obviously went to Harvard, hence these involvements in the movie. Matt was also dating someone called Skylar at Harvard when um, when they were doing the movie as well. So um, that's why her name's in the movie as well. And I learned the other day that the actual Skylar that was at Harvard, I think she's a physician now, she was married to Lars Ulrich, who's the drummer of Metallica. So that was quite interesting. But yeah, you can see a bit of their both their lives added to the script. Unfortunately, though, Goodwill Hunting was only possible because of that degenerate Harvey Weinstein. The script was going to be sold to Castle Rock, which was Rob Reiner's company, named after the uh, the fictional town of um, Stephen King novels. There's actually a series on Amazon Prime called uh, Castle Rock, which sort of intertwines all of King's novels. It's really good. Anyway, so Matt and Ben did, ben did this like quite clever thing when they weren't really getting in the same artistic path as Castle Rock Productions. They didn't really have the same vision. And what they did when they sent off their whole screenplay to other producers and studios is uh, knowing that Castle Rock wasn't going to work was they wrote... Um, a completely out of nowhere sex scene before between like Will and Chucky and they put it in like page 60 near halfway through it so Will and Chucky two heterosexual guys had a sex scene in it for no random reason they just stuck it in there and they sent it all to the studios and it was on page 60 and they took it to every major studio nobody even mentioned the scene when they met with Harvey Weinstein at Miramax he said Okay, I only have one really big note at the script about page 60 the two leads both straight men have a sex scene what's that how what's that about and <coughs> Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explained that they put the scene specifically in there to show who actually read the script and who didn't. So as, own, as Weinstein was the only one to actually bring it up, Miramax was eventually chosen to be the studio to produce the film. And it ended up being the highest grossing movie that was produced by Miramax. I think it was actually broken in 2002 with um, 
I think it was Chicago when it won the Oscar as well. Yeah, I think it was Chicago. So anyway, yeah, Castle Rock bought it, but Matt and Ben, uh, Matt and ben didn't like the direction of where it's going. Weinstein read it and loved it and even let Matt and Ben play the lead role in the movie as well, which was something all the other producers and studios were not letting them do. So according to Gus Van Sant, who directed, eventually directed um, uh, Good Will Hunting, he said that Harvey said the only reason he got on board with the movie was because Matt Damon was cast as a lead role in the 1997 film The Rainmaker, which was um, which he showed to be a, a leading role, and which was directed by the um, the director of Godfather, Francis Ford Coppola. And Coppola said the script when um, he read the script through um, Robin Williams, who he worked with on the film Jack. And apparently Coppola said to Robin Williams after reading the script, "Oh my God, this is amazing. Who are these guys? Because obviously no one's ever heard of Matt Damon or Ben Affleck." So, hence the casting of Matt Damon in Rainmaker, hence the involvement of Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, and hence the immediate involvement of Harvey Weinstein producing Goodwill Hunting, and more importantly, allowing Matt Damon to be the lead character. So, believable, yeah, probably true, yeah, but never really officially confirmed. So, Mel Gibson was just coming off directing Braveheart and was um, asked to direct it by Weinstein, and he told Matt and Ben to just lie and say they've seen Braveheart. So, literally, the first thing they did when they walked into Mel um, Gibson's uh, hotel room was like, oh, I love Braveheart, it was a great film, although they've never seen it. Mel sort of had a different vision about it and was currently quite busy accepting awards from Braveheart and doing press about it, and he actually won the Oscar for Best Director um, for Braveheart. And um, he basically said, look, Matt and Ben obviously wanted to play the lead roles. They need to act on it quick. They're not getting any younger. Matt said to them, said to Mel, I think Matt took Mel to one side and said, look, we're not getting any younger. We need to play these roles now. And Mel just was really nice about it and said, listen, good luck, but you're going to need to find someone else. I don't think I can sort of commit to this right now. And if I am, it's going to take a while. And, you know, that was fine. And Miramax eventually got Gus Van Son, and he's notorious for making, um, directing a remake of Psycho. And... Um, I think Goodwill Hunting is quite is sort of his masterpiece, but he did do a film called Elephant, which is about this. It's about the uh, the Columbine shootings, and it's done in this amazing style, kind of this hoodwig vantage point style. It's amazing. If you haven't seen it, I'd, I recommend it. And he actually did a film called Jerry with um, Casey Affleck and Matt Damon, both in Goodwill Hunting. Really good film. I recommend that too. Very indie movies. Um, but yeah, Gus Van Sant was on board, and of course Robin Williams and Stellan Skarsgård was hired to come, and when both actors did their first scenes together on the first day of shooting, uh, Matt and Ben were there, and they were almost tearing up, almost crying watching the words for established actors come out in such a powerful way, and thus began the journey of this amazing film. So that's pretty much how the story of Goodwill Hunting became to be what it is. Of course, we've got, with the casting of um, Casey Affleck, who plays a small role in the film, and of course Robin Williams, both actors have the tendency to improvise on set, especially, of course, Robin Williams. The line right at the end of the movie where Sean is like, son of a bitch, stole my line, is completely ab-libbed by um, Robin Williams, not even in a script. And you can even see Robin Williams laughing under his breath, and, he's, and it's still in the movie. He kind of hides it quite well. Also, the scene where he says his, um, his wife farted in his sleep to um, Will when they're having their like, third or fourth session. Robin Williams, again, just completely ad-lib in that hence why the camera is shaking in the background and it's also why Matt Damon is in hysterics he's almost about to explode and all of this is kept in the movie just because it was pure magic from Robin and of course Robin does this in so many of his movies of course like Mrs. Doubtfire he had so much freedom with the genie and Aladdin some days when um, some days when he was shooting the genie they, ju they just wouldn't give him a script they just say go for it and see what happens and you know, Robin Williams has the tendency to play a clean-shaven guy in his like more comedic roles, like Mrs. Doubtfire, Good Morning Vietnam, Jumanji, and he tends to usually sport a beard or some kind of facial hair in his more dramatic roles, like Awakenings with Robert De Niro, and of course this movie. And even with the intenseness of his character, he manages to still 
swing in his jokes now and again in respect to the tone of the movie. And that's why he's just a fantastic actor and honestly a blessing if there ever was one to Matt and Ben for him being in a movie. The film clearly is known for a lot of things, but it does have a lot of one-liners and dialogue, and they've stayed cemented throughout Hollywood history. One of them, of course, being the um, the famous how do you like them apples line. I mean, that was um, a line that started, you know, getting some traction and being used in other films and just in society. And it, it, this wasn't actually made up by Matt or Ben or from Goodwill Hunting in any way. This was indeed a common expression in the 1950s. I think it even goes further back than that. But if you've watched... Um, Chinatown, I can't remember what year, 1970s with Jack Nicholson. The same line is said in that movie. So it's a common misconception that Goodwill Hunting created this line, but it's commonly known for it. It's almost like um, people saying Elvis is known for singing and writing Hound Dog, but it was written four years prior by someone called Big Mama Thornton. So it's just people's misconception versus popularity. Let's talk about themes the movie so shrewdly points out. I mean, for one, it's a play on words with the title. Will Hunting is his name, yes, but the title can be taken in very many ways. We know that despite his aggressiveness and uh, how defensive he is towards most people, we need to be reassured that Will is truly a nice person. He is good, which is such a simple and nice way to quietly get the point across in the title, Good Will Hunting. Most names in movies are there for a reason. You just don't pick names out of a hat and go, yeah, that would do. I mean, like in uh, The Hunger Games, Katniss is actually the name of a plant. Um, and it's known as Arrowhead, which represents her abilities with a bow and arrow. Vader is actually Dutch for father. So I guess the Dutch probably saw the big twist coming off in uh, Star Wars. Um, this is where I was to really show my geeky side. In um, Star Trek, Nyota Uhura literally means star freedom in Swahili. And of course, Disney do this all the time with villains like Maleficent and Sleeping Beauty is the Latin word Maleficus. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it means wicked or evil. Or you have more literal meanings like Cruella de Vil, which is pretty self-explanatory, or Scar in Lion King, which sort of symbolizes his resent for Mufasa and also the mental pain he holds because he won't be king. And of course, a literal meaning too. Uh, and, and, and these happen in quite a few movies like Ripley and Alien, an aggressive name for a dominant woman as she literally rips through command and of course the aliens. And then, of course, you have Will in Goodwill Hunting, his hunting for this goodwill, or Will is hunting for answers. And this is the sort of premise of the whole movie. Now, you can think what you want of film titles or character names, but someone somewhere in the movie is trying to tell you where your mind should be with certain characters through means of symbolism, through words, or even their names. The main attraction of this movie is the portrayal of the relationship of the four people trying to help Will in this movie, Skylar, Sean, Lambeau, and Chucky. Now, Skyler, played by Minnie Driver, um, was a fantastic choice for this role. Actually, Harvey Weinstein didn't actually want her in the movie. Um, he didn't think she was cute enough. And um, Matt and Ben had to fight really hard to get her into the movie, and eventually they won. And she even got an Oscar nomination for the role. And Skyler is kind of the outside perspective. She acts as the audience. She, she offers him comfort and love, but little does she know that he's una unable to accept pure forms of positive emotion and um scene by scene we watch her try and break him down until he breaks and just explodes and leaves her and this relationship is key because it allows us to understand will's mind when people get close to him we see it up front and personal from someone who doesn't actually know him like us she helps them as we would because we don't understand will yet and then we have sean played by robin williams and his character has lost his wife to cancer so he's gone through pain he's sort of just in limbo now and he shares what will has shared as a child with both having abusive 
father they've both grown up in the same place so sean is sort of the healer of this uh, of the four he educates us as the audience on what's wrong with will sean makes a point that he chose love over academics and knows exactly what will is going through will's genius of trying to get the better of someone is used as a, as a sort of defense mechanism to cover his actual feelings and sean just sees right through it he's not baffled by his intellect whatsoever sean is the person trying to really understand him now, I read in the early days when Ben and Matt were rehearsing, way before they even sold the script, that in the flat they would envision the role of Sean to be someone of Morgan Freeman or Robert De Niro, and they'd impersonate the actual actor because they're really good at impersonations. But what Robin Williams brings and does is he's, he uses his stereotype and turns it on his head, creating a more raw performance to the audience. And it really help pe- it sort of helps people delve into his mind, especially during that park bench scene where you just start to see Will breaking down from what Sean is saying and actually listening to what Sean has to say. I just do not think it would have worked with De Niro or Morgan Freeman in a role because you can probably see them do a dramatic role. And yes, it would have been a great performance, but also a predictable one as well. And I just don't think it would have been as raw as how Robin Williams portrayed it. Then you have the polar opposite of Sean in his college roommate, Professor Lambeau, played by Stellan Skarsgård, who's, who's sort of you know chosen a career over everything else and has become very successful with winning the Fields Medal, which he keeps bringing up in the movie. And he thinks Sean resents him because of this. Lambeau just wants him to succeed. He wants Will to you know use his gift for good, just get him into a job interview or even give him a job himself. He just wants him to exploit his gift. And he just never tries to understand his past or who he is as a person. And the way Gus Van Sant shows the differences of characters between Sean and Lambeau are very subtle and effective. Obviously, these two share a lot of scenes together, and we know they're old college roommates, so they have a past. And there's a scene where Lambeau first invites Sean, he invites Sean to lunch at this really posh place, trying to get him to see Will, since the other shrinks failed on doing anything with Will. And the camera's uh, positioned really cleverly, because when the waiter comes to take their order, you don't even see the waiter's head, but you can see Sean looking up to the waiter, but we never see the waiter's, you know, sternum up. And Lambeau never really looks at the waiter. He just says something while looking at Sean to the waiter. And then later on, when we go to Sean's environment, Sean invites Lambeau and it's more homey and warming. He invites him to a pub. And the camera is level with the server this time and Sean interacts with the waiter and even has a moment with them. And the camera is positioned in a wide angle where you see everyone at equal lengths. And you see what Gus Van Son is trying to connote to us on how different these characters are and also their agenda towards Will in the movie throughout the use of cinematography and just simple positioning of the actors. We then have Chucky, who is your best bud. We all relate to that one friend who no matter what you do or say, he or she will never judge you. And that's who Ben Affleck plays and plays it really well. And it's not until the scene at the end when um, Will is basically just falling out with all the other three because Sean and Lambo are trying to get through to him and he's just broken up with Skylar. And so he confides with Chucky and they have this scene at work where they're on their lunch break. But after hearing what happens, does Chucky finally step in and just goes, listen, mate, if you're still here in 30 years you know, work in construction, I'm going to effing kill you. And the acting in that scene is next to perfect. It has to be. Will is so taken back that his safety net has just turned on him. This this comfort zone is now compromised, so he doesn't know how to react with Chucky. Certainly not the way he can react with Sean or Lambeau or Skylar, because Chucky knows him. And Chucky says, mate, you need to do something with your gift, otherwise what's the point in having it? And Gus Van Sant shows this scene in a very relaxed manner and it's done on purpose. You see the real camaraderie in them. It's the brotherhood of the way he tells him. They're drinking beers on a construction site and Ben Affleck just tells him straight, you know, you've got to do this for me, not you. You've got to do this for me. And Will is just silent like he was at the park bench. Another little 
breakthrough into breaking down Will. And I think when Gus tells the story of these four characters, of them trying to get through to Will, he subtly keeps Ben in the background until it's his moment to shine right at the end. And it really works to great effect for when Ben finally tells him at the end, you've got to figure out what you want because you owe it to us. And Chucky basically sets him up mentally for the scene at the very end with Sean, who finally breaks him by simply just saying, it's not your fault. So in effect, these four characters are teammates with one goal, and it's to further Will, to look after him. And each of them contribute to his final resolve at the end, where he finally knows what he wants, which is, which is love. He wants Skylar. And Gus Van Sant actually arranges Sean's office in a baseball formation. So he's trying to basically say that this is a team effort. It's not just Sean. Sean's like the pitcher trying to fill Will out with different curveballs. Chucky's there to step in when he needs to be, like the guy behind the batter to signify how and when to throw the ball. And the home run, I guess, in this analogy is Skyler. And the genius is just simple distraction to the audience to understanding that if you take away his gift, this advanced intellect, you have a frightened boy who is crying out for help, but it's just too scared to reach out. And I think it's the only reason why he probably solved those equations at Harvard, which put into motion this whole movie. And if you will, it's quite fitting he solves an equation that eventually solves his entire life. It was a cry for help, and bit by bit, you have to solve problems to better further yourself. Even if you don't want to, or even if you're scared to, you have to do it. And I think one thing this movie really taught me is no matter what gift you have, the most important thing to have is, is love. And I think there was a quote in a magazine or on the internet somewhere, and they said about Goodwill Hunting, if you were to live in a world crammed with nothing but education, the education would actually mean nothing in the end. I think the meaning of life is to give life a meaning. After all, Goodwill Hunting shows a life strictly committed to education instead of love, faith, or trust would be a really depressing reality. And that is all I have time for with Goodwill Hunting. If you haven't seen it, I think it's on Now TV. Um, if you want to listen to my other podcasts or general film news, please just follow me on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase, or one word. And I hope you have a good day, and thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Harry.